This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to journalist Sean Williams. He's one of my favorite reporters. He's been out in Ethiopia on the ground reporting on the war there. Now the war has advanced to a different stage. There is war seemingly on all fronts. The Tigray are surrounding the capital of Ethiopia. The Oromo fighters are getting involved and even Eritrea is getting involved. It's looking like a very dangerous situation. Sean's gonna explain to us what's happening, how this has advanced and where it's looking like it's headed. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us. You get a lot more extra content at patreon.com slash popular front. Um, so since we last spoke about the situation uh, in Ethiopia, a hell of a lot has changed. The rebels are no longer on the back foot. There's other rebel groups are getting involved. Um, countries pulling their their diplomats out of the country. Maybe, maybe just explain to us what is like what's happened. How has this happened so quickly? How is it that the the militia forces are now really gaining traction? Well, I mean, first off, it's probably good to note that this was pretty. Um pretty foreseeable from from how things were going a few months ago so it was it was kind of billed as a fight between these tdf rebels and the government but it was always going to be more messy than that all of the regions around tigray um i mean they've been fighting for decades with each other and there's been loads of bad blood between them uh i mean never mind the eritreans for a moment you've got afar to the to the east of tigray you've got amhara to the south and the west of tigray and it's kind of just become a, a sort of low burbling civil war at this point between various different factions. Um, now, as it stands at the moment, the TDF with all of the material and the weapons and the men and, the, and everything that they've got behind them from back in the day, they've found themselves sort of advancing all the way sort of within or around 100 miles away from the capital Addis Ababa, which is pretty which is pretty scary um, if you think that they're going to launch an attack on a five million strong city. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think uh, for two reasons. I mean, one is that it'd be a complete bloodbath. And the second is that it doesn't really suit their PR campaign that this is just a defensive war um, against the government. So as it stands, you've kind of got this standoff now where pockets of land in all of these different states that are pretty rural, unguarded, um, and kind of left behind by the by the governing or the ruling governors in each state, um, they're getting sort of switched hands very quickly. There's a lot of atrocities being carried out. Um, one one good example, or one hor- horrible example, is still Western Tigray. Back in the 90s, it was handed over to the Tigrayans by the Tigrayan-led TPLF, who downed the communists. Uh, it was taken from Amhara. Now, that's the only part of Tigray that's got any agriculture or land that you can really do anything with. So now that the, the guards let down and there's this pretty sparse population out there, the Amhara have gone back in with their own militia, taken it. And that's in the early times of this conflict. That's where you saw a lot of the really, really awful human rights abuses carried out. And that area, which is, I guess it's probably the size of a couple of British counties, it's just kind of like switched hands over and over and over again. And even like Amnesty today, or I think yesterday brought out a report, there was yet more massacres being carried out there. So 
it's kind of a war of the periphery, really. There's like all of these different sort of border regions between the different places, the different states. They're the bits that are really seeing the worst of it right now because they're just kind of hinterlands um, just with a few battalions of troops or militias here and there. So where it's at now, uh, you've got the Tigrayans, you've got the government, um, the Eritreans seem to play a, a sort of more subdued role now. Maybe they've got their ass handed to them by... Um, the international community a little bit, but the Afar region and the Amhara region are kind of doing a pincer move on Tigray. I <laughs> I don't know if this is this meets high level sort of analyst uh, material, but it's a complete shit show. It's horrible. Like it's 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 really getting messy. Um, hard to kind of fathom from day to day. Yeah. Um. How has it got to this level though? Because it seemed like the fighting was mostly consolidated around like the Tigray areas. Now, like you said, it's very close to the capital of Ethiopia. How how has that happened? Like, what, has there been like a major breakdown in the Ethiopian military or what? Well, it was always destined to happen in some way because the Tigrayans are the former dominant force in the in Ethiopia, and they've basically got loads of weapons a lot of the military stations were up there um you know due to due to this sort of crony isolationist rural police state that they governed for nearly 30 years they've got all of the commanders all of the top military brass are from Tigray or not all of them but most of them and tons and tons of men and they've got this like sort of almost national culture of fighting a resistance after so many years leading the fight against the Derg, that's the Soviet-backed communist junta. Um, so they've got, they've got all of the stuff behind them. I mean, the, the government itself was always kind of playing shit or bust by going to war with these guys because they don't really have the personnel. They've got the weaponry and they've got international friends. But, you know, when you're fighting, when you're fighting a guerrilla force on its home turf, tall to the eyeballs... Um, with a much depleted military that you've just kind of gouged by taking the Tigrayans out of it, um, you're kind of on a hiding to nothing. And that's that's kind of what happened, I guess, in the time that we were talking last, that was just in the process of happening. Um, now the, the rebels, I, I don't know if you can call them rebels, I mean, they're a proper full-blown army, but they're, they're down as far as this town. They've taken Lalibela, which is the ancient sort of, uh, sort of a religious city um between addison and tigray so it as it stands it's kind of like a stalemate um and it's it's sort of difficult to see where it's going to go next because either move from either side is going to nullify their claims of fighting on the back foot uh, they can only take more land for themselves so they can only lose the pr battle by winning the war so to speak yeah, um, I've seen a lot of kind of maps online and then a friend of mine that lives in Ethiopia has just said like they're bullshit. Like, you know, a lot of these kind of very online Twitter analysts are sharing them. Not not, not that they're like, there's anything wrong with them, but they're actually not really representing yeah. what's going on in the ground. Um, how fluid is this this situation? Like, is it, are there like static front lines yet or is it just like taking town by town, push back, whatever? Like what kind of what kind of conflict is it right now? Yeah, as far as I see it, it's really, really fluid. And and again, like I haven't been there for a while. I've been keeping close tabs, and I want to go out there again soon. But it's, um, I mean, if you look at the the sort of daily news coming out of the main Ethiopian news sources, there'll be towns and villages taken day by day, just going switching hands back and forth. You'll hear of atrocities being carried out hundreds of miles apart, like in completely opposite scales of the country. Um, 
So it's it's really, really kind of a fluid, fast-moving conflict at the moment, while at the same time not being sort of an all-out war. It's it's quite a it's quite a chilly conflict at the moment. Like it's it's breaking out in in fits and starts, but there's no there's no kind of consolidated front line, no no sort of major major battles being fought, um, and that's why a lot of this is to do with the sort of public perception because a lot of times you know we're talking about armies that despite having a lot of weapons they're not tooled up as as sort of like european or or sort of global north countries would be so a lot of the a lot of the success of these guys on the battlefield actually depends on whether the people want to take them in or not um and that's why a lot of this is being fought out online in the media um it's a really it's really really complicated um, so it's hard. It's hard for your sort of regular rolling news guys to to cover it. Yeah, um, I remember when we when we spoke before, there was you know a very serious situation with Ethiopian troops just carrying out horrific war crimes, rape, that sort of thing. But there's also been the same thing happening now with the Tigray um, militias, right? I read that they had um, basically executed something like ten or fifteen civilians in some village. Um, maybe, maybe you can give us an idea of what's going on with that. Yeah, I mean, it's be, it's become clear, and it, it kind of was clear, but it wasn't being widely reported before that the TDF, that's the Tigray Defence Force, that's the uh, that's the kind of military wing of the old TPLF, the former ruling party of Tigray. Well, current, depending on who you're speaking to, um, it was it was becoming apparent even from my reporting, that's back in May, that these guys were carrying out sort of retributional attacks on civilians that had taken in rival forces. Um, committing rape as a as a as a weapon of war um and and doing all you know doing all your kind of common or garden horrific um civil war stuff that that was being re- reported sort of on in behalf of the the army or the the uh, Ethiopian forces side before and that was really uh that was really a result of who was reporting and where they were getting their information from uh, which i find quite interesting kind of switch from the the Addis government line in the early days Sort of when people realised it was all kicking off, you got people flooding over to the Tigrayan side and taking their word for rote. Uh, and now there's a bit more of a sort of unbiased, balanced view of the war. But it, it, the TDF are clearly not just a, a backfoot defensive sort of um, guerrilla force. They are fully fledged um, military, and they are they are surging into oppositional state territory, and they're committing these atrocities almost by the day um and what they've been doing is saying we welcome everyone that wants to investigate these from ngos amnesty human rights watch but they know full well that no one could get in there and they won't let anyone get in there so they're playing that canny old game that the government did a few months ago so um yeah i don't know (laughs) it kind of it kind of makes you think about that adam curtis stuff and odearism where the media is so desperate to pick a side i think in the early days of this, you know, and it's clear that the vast majority of, of abuses have been carried out by the military or the Ethiopian military, but that doesn't make, um, these TDF guys shrinking violets. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to get pelters from both sides after this, but, um, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I kind of fucked up a bit. Well, we're not fucked up, but we had like, um, did this woman on, she was great. Like she was good, like, uh, for information, but was very clearly like just on the Tigray side, you know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, okay. Right. And then I started reading into it and it's like, oh, hang on, wait, like 
you know, there, like you said, there is no, there's no like um, kind of, oh, the, the resistance against this level of whatever. It's just right now, it's, as it's evolved, it's just become like, just horrible. You know what I mean? Just like absolutely fucking brutal on every side of it. From what I've read anyway, I mean, like I said, I've not been there, but you have. Um, and people I speak to there are just, I know even like Tigray people that are like, don't like the militias, the Tigray militias. Yeah, I met, I met several of those people. And then when I came back and reported that, there was sort of widespread disbelief, you know, everyone's behind their bo our boys kind of thing, but they're not. Um, and that's just, um, I mean, yeah, to put it in context, like at the early parts of the war, the government got away with a lot of bullshit that it was saying, including who started the war. I mean, the New York Times came out with a really good piece the other day about how Abby, the, the, the PM, was sort of planning for this for a long time after he got the Nobel Peace Prize, Christ, um, which is just laughable. But he said that the, the Northern Command, uh, the guys stationed up north near T or in Tigray rather, they were attacked by the TDF and that's what kicked off the war. That's massively dubious. But because he was broadly Western aligned, I think everyone gave him a free pass. As the war went on and a few sort of investigative reporters sneaked their way into the area and were like, oh shit, there's mass graves everywhere and the towns are bombed to crap. Now, I think you got a big turning point in the, in the international media where they were like, okay, now we have a victim and we have a perpetrator and now we're going to go on that line. And then people started talking to the TPLF leadership a lot. And these guys are sort of old school, um, sort of authoritarian... Um, you know, they know how to spin a good game, but they are talking crap a lot. And so that meant that the last few months, the, the sort of crimes of the TDF haven't been getting reported. And now finally people are figuring out that, oh, both sides are carrying out atrocities. So now you get a slightly more even-handed approach to that. I mean, I'm not even sure if that's having much effect either, but you do get some sort of bad actors coming in now from various new media organizations that I probably shouldn't mention, but... No, no, I've seen it a lot, man. And there's a real problem with this thing of like, oh, well, the the Tigray rebels or whatever are, I mean, on paper at least, like kind of old school Marxist rebels, right? So, yeah, yeah, like on paper. So then I've seen like, you know, these kind of internet radicals are like, these are the good guys, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like fucking yeah. hell, man, like... War is not your political playground. It's annoying. Um, I, yeah, I know you've been getting a lot of that bullshit. Um, I've seen as well now that other forces, the Oromo, they're involved in the conflict, right? How, how significant is their role in this? Well, potentially massive. That's like the sort of elephant in the room, I guess, because the Oromo is the biggest ethnic group in um, Ethiopia. There's been several uprisings there in the, in the very recent past, um, and they're pretty tooled up as well they're they're very historically they're sort of good at stirring up unrest against the government um and it kind of envelops the Oromo land envelops Addis Ababa um backs on to Amhara as well so it's very strategically placed um so yeah if if I mean so now we get to the point where it's a bit sort of armchair commentary but if you had if you had the Oromo making an alliance with the Tigrayans, for example, that would be an incredibly powerful uh, force. That would, I, I would bet that that would almost certainly defeat the government in a in a fight. Um, then you have the possibility that this war just descends into a kind of communal 
um, inter-regional battle, and that would be catastrophic. I mean, that was kind of the thing that I'd predicted months and months ago would happen because um, despite what Addis is doing, which is to weaponize the idea of um, colonialism and, and Ethiopia being unconquered by, by white European forces and saying that the, the current media war with the with the west is is a neo-colonialism it's actually that that's that's a bad faith thing to do first off and secondly it's not ethiopia is barely a country i mean as as the idea of a nation state as we understand it is it's sort of held together with sticky back plastic and it's a, a, essentially an empire of very very different regions with different cultures languages customs religions in most parts and I mean, having done the research that I've done in the last couple of years or so, I actually can't believe that it's still standing as a country. I, I, I think it's incredible that it's still around. So I would not be surprised if to avoid some kind of a, a catastrophic all-out war, there was some kind of a power-sharing deal or devolution or something like this on the table that might split Ethiopia up. Um, yeah, I think that's. I'm, I don't think that's that unlikely at all. Uh, I've seen people describe it or at least compare it in some ways to like Yugoslavia. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I, I think that that is accurate. I mean, there. I guess, and I'm no expert on the Balkans, but uh, with a passing interest, you've got the com communal side. You've got historical sort of land swaps and land grabs going on throughout sort of forever. Um, you've got a lot of very, very right-wing sort of fascist rhetoric at the heart of the, uh, heart of this and the heart of that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, if so, this is also the worrying thing, right? I mean, it's already turning into a simmering sort of battle for control of various borderlands, as it is. If it devolved even further, if say, if say that the the TDF did make a real threat to, to flood south and get into Addis. I don't think Abbey would have any option but to either step down or fight them full on. That would cause a complete sort of breakdown in the sort of administration of the country and you could easily get warring factions in the style of the Balkans. Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry. I mean, it sounds a bit doomsday, but I definitely wouldn't rule that out at the moment at all. Well, I mean, it's essentially a war on all fronts, though, right? So I think the comparison makes sense. Maybe not, like, culturally or whatever, but I think just in terms of, like, there's several different states here that have been kind of arbitrarily put into, you know, one country, if you like, but now it's falling apart. It just seems to me like every every group is going, like, right, let's go now. You know what I mean? Which which definitely is not a good sign. I mean, the Oromo, you know, for, for, for all their kind of... I know that the militias there are pretty wild... But they have been like brutally oppressed by the Ethiopian government, right? I mean, I remember reading about it years ago. So yeah, right. So it's kind of like I mean, not to not to condone anything, but it just it does seem to me like people are going right now. We're going to have a go. You know what I mean? Like on various different fronts. Yeah, I mean, and there's precedent to this, right? I mean, the reason that Eritrea exists is because it fought a decades-long war of independence with Addis when it was under Haile Selassie and then under the Derg, like, and and that became an independent state. And I mean, it's an absolutely appalling one, but 
you know the other the other regions will be looking at that and thinking, well, why can't we do it? The problem is, especially for say Afar, which is very arid, not not very not a lot of mineral wealth there, and Tigray, is that there's it's very hard to see them. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast that we did as well. It's it's very hard for them to to sort of survive as a state within their current boundaries. I mean, even less so if the kind of fertile west of the state is is ripped away by the Amhara. So that then becomes almost by definition, they have to sort of change the borders in some way or do something because they can't survive being a sort of mountain, deserty state with, with very little going on. That won't survive. So, um, yeah, then, then you start to pose all questions like that. Um, <laughs> I wish I had like better news but it's you know everything that i thought would happen now has happened and i I don't really see anyone rhetorically doing anything but backing themselves further into a corner um abby obviously you know this great nobel peace prize winner he was out on the front line with the boys in his fatigues pretending to fight so that's that's really a man of peace and he's telling his people to to sort of pick up arms and join a, a fight. So he's essentially sort of mobilizing the civilian population to try and wipe out an ethnic group, which, I mean, that does sound a little Balkan. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's it's so interesting that the this guy won the Nobel Peace Prize. Like, it just makes me like, I remember, I remember being about like 22 being like clueless of things, and I was reading this book, and it was talking about um, Menachem Begin in, in in Israel, and then I read that he got the the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, even though they knew everything he'd been doing, you know, and and then I realized like, oh, this is this whole thing is bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's like Obama got one, and it's like, what is this even? You know what I mean? Does he does he mention that shit still? Does he still be like, I got the the Nobel Peace Prize? Uh, oh yeah. See, I I don't even get what the, I don't even get what the Nobel Peace Prize is. It's just a bunch of like weird fellas in Norway. Like, why are we giving this credence in the first place? Like, why does everyone give a toss? But yeah, I mean, he was pretty much leveraging it directly to join forces with the Eritreans and wipe out the Tigrayans in the first place. So, I mean, at the very least, it should be a lifetime achievement award. It shouldn't be awarded on the spot. I mean, who gives a toss about the Nobel Peace Prize? It shouldn't exist anymore. So um, in terms of the, the Ethiopian military, what, what's their situation now? Are they like, are they kind of pushing forward or what? Are they all like completely defensive around the city now? Because I imagine that's really, you know, it seems to me now it's it's gone past them being like, right, retake this bit. Like more, you would think there would be more like focused on, right, we must protect the capital if it's that under threat. Yeah, and I think that's kind of telling because I don't think that is what they're doing at the moment per se. I think they are kind of pushing into various different fronts and retaking and losing and retaking again different towns well outside of the capital. So, you know, there was some talk that the reason um, the Tigrayans took some of the towns around the area that they did was that they could kind of squeeze off the supplies and sort of lay siege to the government. Not ne- not necessarily like starve Addis, but starve the government of mineral wealth, um, various things that they need to survive in terms of taxes and revenue. And that would sort of drive them to the negotiating table. And I don't think that the government in Addis really takes an attack on the city that seriously at the moment. 
um, because they are sort of pushing here and there. But as far as I understand it, um, and I'm not like, you know, not like nailing my colours to any team here. Um, I, I, I see them as being hugely depleted um, and, and trying to sort of stall for time. Um, and, and I mean, that's one reason you would assume why Abby is out in the middle of the battle trying to sort of rally civilians to get involved and join up because as he sees, as he must see it, there is no way to conventionally win this war. So I, I think that if I had to, if you were, if you were sort of holding a gun to my head and saying what is going to happen in the next year, I would say that he will broker some kind of a ceasefire that will bring the TPLF, the guys that he initially tried to cut out of everything back to the table and there'll be some kind of a reduced autonomy um, leveled at the TPLF that they can kind of they can kind of show their people that they're winning back control in some way from the government but not enough control that the other regions go oh hold on what about me so <laughs> Abby's got a bit of a tough balancing act to play in the next year because he's got to try and stop the war without losing the country and i think that's actually quite difficult to do now i think he might be beyond the rubicon for that yeah what's the um what are the public what's their their kind of reaction to all of this i imagine they're very scared about the conflict but in terms of the the state are they rallying behind him or are they kind of like nah fuck this guy some people are, yeah. I mean, he, he's he still has a fair deal of popularity. I think I was speaking to someone quite recently in Addis um, who really knows their onions, and they were saying that if there were an election held tomorrow, he would still win. Um, he's got pretty decent approval rate. I think the majority, because the Tigrayans are, I think, 7 million of 110 million people, so they're, they're a very small minority. And there is a very strong truth a very a very large amount of truth rather to to the idea that they were a cronyist self-serving autocracy when they're in control and that's why you get a lot of these companies like um metech which is a huge conglomerate owned by various pals and generals within the hierarchy back then still making billions um you know just sort of kind of shaky hands backdoor deals taking money away from the country uh, and, and giving power back to back to powers in the Tigray. So there is a very strong opposition to those old TPLF leaders. There is not a very strong appetite for war or for a genocide against those people. That is something that's being manufactured largely by the government. Um, so, I mean, the conversations that I was having, I was having in parts of the country that weren't Tigray were... Yes, we despise those old guys. They they really ran a lot of the country into the dirt. There is a kind of vaguely racist idea that is akin to anti-Semitism, really, where they they were stealing money um, and they were somehow kind of superior and inferior racially at the same time. It's very odd. Um, reminds me of yeah, like Nazi Germany or Armenia and Turkey as well. Um, yeah, it's that kind of strange thing where. You somehow you've managed to vaunt this conspiracy that makes them secret puppet masters, but also sort of less than human. It doesn't really. It's kind of like a two pronged um, 
bigotry. It's really dangerous. And I mean, that's driven a lot of the stuff that's been going on in the early days of the war and still going on now, although on a slightly smaller scale. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that the public are going to start standing for it if Tigrayans are getting dragged out of their beds and shot and purged in the middle of the night in Addis. Um, people have been asked for their ID cards, and that's bad enough, but I, I don't see it. I don't think, I don't, yeah. It's taken on a very racial re like rhetoric, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the country has forever, though. The, the stuff with the rumour in the 2017 or 18 when, when it last was, I mean, that was all purely racial. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, not, it's not got a good foundation, all of this stuff. No, not at all. Um, and I hate to, to mention, you know, bring up the West in this, but I'm only doing it because we know, obviously, the West absolutely fucking loves meddling in Africa historically and even now. So, yeah. So what's the West's reaction to this? I've read a little bit, but generally I zone out and the West is like, this must stop. It's like, yeah, whatever. But, um, like, what what, yeah. what have they done? I read that they, they removed their, some of their diplomats and stuff like that. Other than that, have they got any, any other, like, kind of, um, you know, skin in the game with this? Um... No, <laughs> um, yeah, they've, they've they they have chucked out. I mean, chucked out. They've they've withdrawn a few diplomats. I mean, who gives a toss? And there's some been there's been some strongly worded letters sent around. Um, but this isn't a this this is a conflict that I think a lot of people in the West are fearing, not on humanitarian grounds, but on sort of geopolitical grounds. So Ethiopia is on paper, a democracy buried in a kind of region that is is almost sort of entirely full of dictators, you know. Everywhere on the borders, there's Sudan, South Sudan, Eritrea, Somalia. Um, over the water, there's Yemen. I mean, these are this is an area that, that you get sort of policy wonks in D.C. and London talking about as, you know, the Horn of Africa being sort of failed and Ethiopia being a bastion of some kind of a state non-failure. So they talk about it in those kind of terms and they're worried about certain countries funneling money into it. So you've got Turks putting money into various infrastructure projects, but also supplying drones and military equipment to, to the Eritreans and various factions. China's there. The UAE's there as well. So I think a lot of the issue that the West... Um, take with this is that it could exacerbate not necessarily that it stays within Ethiopia I mean I mean it was only really Freddie Mercury that gave a toss last time it kicked off in the 1980s so <laughs> I don't think I don't hold out a lot of hope uh, for the West doing anything particularly strong this time around I mean I'm not even sure what they could do to to be honest um, but but they're not they're not really prioritizing it and it and it could it could be a huge huge war that lasts for years yeah, that's the worry. Um, you're looking to head out again, right? You've already been there reporting on the ground. What is it you think you'll focus on when you go back out there, um, if, if you know yet? I would really like to um, get to those peripheral areas because it, it would be interesting to see how the battles are physically being played out there. Um, it's clear, that, you know, the, the Eritrean side of this, how they're sort of encroaching into Ethiopian land... I, and how they're not going to go away and no one's going to tell them to go away either and they're not going to play ball. Um, that's already been reported. I saw it when I was out there. So I think we can safely say that that's happening. But in terms of how this war is sort of devolving into a communal thing, 
that is what I would like to look into. I'd like to go out to Amhara, Western Tigray. Uh, I'd like to go to Lalibela and speak to people there. I mean, you know, very few of these reports are speaking to civilians that are being affected by this. And I mean, you know, it might seem like it's not the worst thing in the, in the grand scheme of things when there's all these massacres going on. But I think that having these fluid lines and having this uncertainty hanging over you in your own country, I think that causes a huge amount of sort of national stress and people, you know, inheriting all kinds of trauma from just not knowing where they live. Um, and I think it's going to have a huge destabilizing effect on the country in the long term. And that's why I think it will devolve in some way. Um, but I would like to go to those sort of liminal areas and see what's happening there. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, that sounds really good. I hope you get back out there. Um, is there anything else you want to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? Oh, um, well, I don't know. <laughs> Could talk about the corruption in the UK, but that's that's too depressing as well. <laughs> so I guess... Uh, yeah. I guess we'll leave it at a civil war in Ethiopia. But um, yeah, I mean, I would like people to be very wary of information that carries hashtags and all kinds of shit like that online because the social media sphere in Ethiopia is absolutely toxic. And it's sort of being hijacked by, like I said before, a few very nasty bad actors posing as journalists who are going in there to sort of cry imperialism or communism one way or the other um that's not what this conflict is at all um and and just be very careful when you're picking and choosing your information online yeah man i agree i think you've been doing great work out there you've made it a lot more clearer um for me definitely and a lot of other people um where can people follow your work if, if they want to do that yeah well i'm on uh i'm on twitter as always uh, uh s williams journo and uh i do a podcast with danny gold the underworld podcast where we talk about organized crime that slips into kind of um, this this sort of stuff as well, war and conflict. So people can find the podcast, they can find me there online. Yeah, any, anywhere you're online, I'm probably tapping away, complaining about something. <laughs> All right, mate. Thank you very much, Sean. Really appreciate that. Cheers, mate. Pleasure. That was journalist Sean Williams speaking about the battle in Ethiopia between the Tigray, the Oromo, Eritrea against the state in Ethiopia. Very messy situation. Be sure to check out Sean's podcast with Danny Gold, Underworld Podcast. If you like Popular Front, you're probably going to like the Underworld Podcast. It's very interesting. They focus on organized crime all over the world, but very specific stories uh, involved in that. It's cool. Check it out, Underworld Podcast. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front and you want a lot more content from Popular Front and you also want to support us, keep us going because we do not take corporate money and we don't have any shithead advertising, only advertising from ethical people, you can do that by supporting us at patreon.com slash popularfront or you can go to popularfront.co slash support. There's many different ways you can support us there. Crypto, yeah, boohoo, you're apparently not allowed to like crypto anymore. Um, we do <laughs> popularfront.co slash support check that out or patreon.com slash popularfront thank you to our sponsors uh they are oracle coffee shop in portland oregon usa they're an independent coffee shop uh, business selling only fair trade products see them at 3875 southwest bond avenue 97239 
thank you to Grindcore House, a pair of independent coffee shops in Philadelphia, USA, one in South, one in West. Find them on socials at Grindcore House. And thank you also to our other sponsor, Propagandopolis, an outlet selling and writing about historical conflict propaganda from around the world. You can buy prints at propagandopolis.com. Use the promo code POPULARFRONT10 for 10% off. If you want to follow us on social media and spread the word, you can do that. Go to instagram.com slash popular.front. We get uh, threats of getting banned all the time because Zork is a fucking clown. So you might have to follow the backup as well at popularfront underscore. That's the same as our Twitter. So our Twitter is uh, twitter.com slash popularfront underscore, youtube.com slash popularfront, and again, the website popularfront.co. If you want to look at my work, that's jakehanrahan.com, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. Music in this episode, the intro was by Home, and the outro was by Sam Black. Check his music out at samblackpf.com or follow him on Instagram uh, samblack.jpeg jpeg thank you to the high tier patreons you're keeping this moving they are Tom Taylor Ethan Zwick RA Champagne Anarchist Thwat Lisa Middlefart Elise sorry Jess Lewis or Louis David McManus Joaquin Williamson Holt Idoye Travis Tom Petrie James Leons, Kate, Lisa Milgram, Bradley Davies, Brendan Crave, Pete Hesher, RX, A. Nicole, uh, Nickel, Travis Lieberman, Cherry, Ben Marshall, Dallas Dunn, LD50 Seattle, MJ, K. Glitter Vulcan, Meredith Waters, Bethany Swoveland, Adam H., Carante, Bjorn Kirsten, Diamondstein, Michael O'Connor, Zach Picard, Todd Cravens, Nicholas Butter, JD, Jav, Ian Froes, James Cully, Tynan Daly, Ethan, Shanklin the Painter, Fitz Madrid, Ed Coulthard, Mike Barone, Ben, Liam Williams, Chris Cusimano, Degenerate Zero Alpha, Giorgio Arani, DR, Trey Nance, Amy R, Rubicon, Frank Austin, Amelia Me, Nawaiz, Nate Van Dor, Christina Rivetti, Freya Northman, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, Brian McLaughlin, Tom Lochrin, Young Wasabi, Tony Bin, Adam Bergsnyder, JL, Stephen Davila, Anthony Kabarak, Dan Donham, Fletcher, Diana Govanek, Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did. Peter McCormick's mad, he just bought Bedford football team. Check that out, Real, Real Bedford. Um, it's an interesting project. Uh, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock, and Moritz Zumbul. Thank you all very much. Really do appreciate you. If you weren't on the Patreon, then we would be fucked. So yeah, thank you very much. Again, if people want to support, patreon.com slash popularfront. Merry Christmas.